I just had some Maltesers for the first time in as long as I can remember, and they are extremely underrated. Absolutely delicious chocolatey snack slash dessert. Uh, hello, happy Sunday. Um, just been in Barcelona for my birthday this week, which has been brilliant. I think the more, I guess the more birthdays you have, and therefore the older you get, unless you're some sort of wizard, um, you become clearer with who you are, what you like, what you do, who you spend time with. And therefore it becomes easier to make sure that you enjoy your birthday. Like this year, I did the same thing as what I did last year, which was like, go for a walk on Hampstead Heath and have a roast dinner. Like, what more could you want for a 31-year-old than that? Like, I genuinely don't know how that could be improved as an activity. Like, evening, went to the pub with friends and family. During the day, did some charity shops, got coffee, had, had some lunch. Like, I'm, I'm just pretty pretty sure that that's how I want to spend my time and I think it's okay once you realize what you like doing to just like do it that's something I've been like asked quite a bit over the last week oh how's that how's turning 31 you're like you're in your 30s now it's like well yeah like of course I'm in my 30s I go to bed at half nine do you know what I mean I wake up and I read and have lemon and lemon and ginger tea and enjoy putting slippers on like of course I'm 31 and I think now, just kind of like who I am, like what I do, like who I spend time with, so it becomes pretty easy. Resharing this episode uh, that I recorded with Luke last year, um, founder of the Personal Trainer Collective and just a wealth of information. Really, really nice to listen back to it. Um, I'm recording with um, the authors of the Raw and Red Front next week, so that'll be up next week. Um, enjoy the episode and I'll catch up with you soon. Um, Luke, I messaged you the other day and I said that I'd overheard someone in the gym saying that green tea makes you slim. And I was like, the world needs you now more than ever. The PTC is more important than ever if people are going around thinking that. And you said that's not even the worst thing I've ever heard. What are some of the worst things that you've heard when it comes to misnomers about about health, fitness, weight loss, anything like that? I know we've only got 45 minutes. It's going to be hard. But thank you, (laughs) first and foremost, for having me on. Uh, the person was correct if he says green tea to make you lose weight if that's the only thing you have and you don't consume any food but I'm assuming this person thought I can eat whatever the hell I want and the green tea will just sort out the over calorie consumption and that just makes calories non-existent so some of the worst ones um, someone this is someone well known as well like not well known maybe to your listeners but I won't say their name just because I'll probably get a lawsuit. Um, <laughs> they, with their female clients, they had to have 20 to 25 grams of like fortified fiber in the morning to sort out their hormones. Oh my God. So first thing you did when you woke up is probably buy some supplement that had, I'm just thinking about their poor bowel movements after. Yeah, that's so much fiber. <laughs> Yeah, so in one go, 20 to 25 grams of fiber. I suppose he gave a range in case they were slightly larger or slightly smaller as a client. And that was the, yeah, to 
help regulate their hormones before they started today. I'm like, yeah, uh, what other ones? But you're, um, surely you'll just like, you'll just poo yourself. I, everybody, no? It's a weird one with, with fiber. Um, and it also depends if it's water soluble or not. So okay. you've then got different types of fiber. Do you know the, 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 maybe the fiber you get in protein bars, you have a few too many protein bars and yeah. you have the, the protein farts, is it? <laughs> well, I like to call them props. Yeah, so um, like the xanthan gum they have in certain products and stuff like that. You think they're healthy, but... Mm. Uh, and they go, like, oh, fiber. Everyone automatically thinks fiber is great, but there is an upper threshold for fiber as well. And I, when I've worked with clients, I'd, for me, I'd, I've, probably 25 to 30 grams is the sweet spot. But there's a good rule of thumb. Like, generally, just have probably 25 to 30 grams as, as, a, as a rule of thumb. But I think it, one of the ones that Eric Helms, Dr. Eric Helms, suggested is to have an upper threshold because you might also, you have some um, athletes, footballers that you're, who are training multiple times per week, maybe doing some S&C as well. Um, and they're going to be expending a lot of calories. So they're going to obviously pre predominantly have carbohydrates as their energy source. Um, just because as we know football, you're working multiple different um, energy systems and it's a lot of short start. And that would depend on the positions as well. Um, but you think they're training, not only football training, they're also doing their, their S&C. So they're, using their glycogen stores obviously people know carbohydrates um is broken down into glucose so your body doesn't know whether it's come from a good source or a bad source i know you can't see me but i'm doing my air quotation marks yeah. um but everything gets converted into say glucose for example obviously you've got fruit with fructose but then if you're not using that then obviously at the time it will just get stored as glycogen in your liver and muscles so whenever you're training and especially resistance training, if you're training specific muscles, it's going to use the glycogen from those muscles to break it down into glucose to give you energy for that energy system. So um, I don't know where I was going, but... No, we're talking about fiber, just some of these misnomers. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, sure. tip, so a lot of your clients may be on high-carbohydrate diets. And if they're trying to eat clean on like... And I mean, I'm talking some clients, 600, 800 grams of carbs. You think about if they're having a midweek game, a Saturday game, again, trying to replenish and recover to getting your protein and getting your carbohydrates in. And when you are extremely active and the amount of calories you expend, so if we're looking at calories, you've got calories in versus calories out. If they're equal, then you maintain weight. If you have more calories, then you expend, then you put on weight and vice versa. So again, from a, uh, working with your sorts of clients as well, some of them, depending on what level they are, may need to lose a little bit of body fat because that's going to help their performance. Some may be underweight and they need to put on a bit of muscle and put a bit of size. So it's always going to be dependent on the individuals. But if you're trying to eat clean for a high carbohydrate intake, it's going to be really uncomfortable. Um, and you may end up exceeding, a high, might, may have a lot higher amount of fiber. Too much of anything is not good too little of anything's not good so that can cause discomfort i mean the last thing you want to do is when you're playing 90 minutes and all of a sudden you're like i need to go yeah uh, and it's not well on well off sub so um <laughs> sort of the upper threshold director eric helm said is 10 percent of your carbohydrate intake so if your carbs were six uh 600 grams then it'd say your upper threshold would be like 60 grams if it mm -hmm. was 800 
So that that's just sort of a raw fun. But um, yes, too much of anything's not good. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That that was probably one of the the worst ones. Yeah, that I've, I, I've heard. They are. I mean, that one. I, I get. I suppose that's a bit more technical, right? A bit more complex. Like some of the other ones I had written down were like training while fasting makes you burn fat, which is just like I've heard someone's. Like I think I probably there was a period where I probably thought that, and I don't know why I thought that when I was like I probably started training in 2016 because I was like regularly going to the gym. Just had no idea about like why I thought that, but I just heard someone say it, and I thought, oh, okay. A lot of the times it's tradition, and with stuff like weight loss and stuff like that, it comes from sort of like the bodybuilding like niche mm. where they're like, "I'll train faster," and in your head it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that, okay, if I'm training low intensity and I've had nothing to eat, so I've not had any foods, I've not got any glucose in, in my bloodstream, therefore it has to take it from fat. But then the downside then, you've got to look at, well, what's your performance like when you're training fasted? And there is actual research from Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, I think Alan Aragon and maybe James Krieger, and they actually looked at this. And it came back that there was no significant difference. So whenever I say like no significant difference, they had less simple terms because I haven't got the paper up here. They had one group that trained fasted, one group that trained fed. So when I say fed, obviously they wasn't fasted. They probably had breakfast. I don't know what time they trained. And what they did, what they would typically do on the scientific study is obviously try and control as many variables as possible and just literally have, you're not eating, you are eating. But throughout the day, throughout the week or throughout the length of the, the the study whether it's eight weeks 10 12 maybe slightly longer they're going to make sure that their calories are matched so they they literally are consuming exactly the same it's just their meal timing slightly different the only difference is you're fasted you're fed and there's no significant difference between burning more fat the other thing you got to look at as well is people look at losing weight and you're going okay they may have lost more fat but they may have lost also more lean body mass their muscle which is obviously something you, you don't want to do like no one really i can't think of any benefit of losing muscle mass as such um but there was no significant difference so it all came down to well if calories over the, a, a chronic period of time whether it's the week the months etc are matched there's no significant difference so my thing is go with personal preference one of the things I would say, if you are training first thing in the morning, maybe you don't want to have like too much volume in your food and too much fiber or fat because that slows down your gastric empty and stuff like that. So it may not be as comfortable. So it could be something simply like a protein shake. Um, you could, if you wanted to, a piece of fruit. Uh, so you don't really, like the last thing you most people want to do is stuff their face with like porridge, oats, some, I don't know, granola yogurt fruit and then go oh i'm gonna go and train mm. um so yeah so yeah no, i think no difference do whatever works best for you yeah yeah and for sure and it takes it probably takes a period to figure out like what 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 do you digest well once you've eaten how long does it take you to get to the point where you're like okay i'm actually ready to go, to go and train now um one more that i think it probably does come from the like like you say the bodybuilding niche but i think also even like some of the documentaries i've watched where you like even some of the the man city stuff where they looked at like the you know the chefs like bringing around food to kevin de bruyne's house and all those sort those sorts of things which like eating carbs in the evening means you put on weight and like i remember thinking oh you can't have carbs after this time um i wonder where you think where you think that one comes from 
Well, technically, it's true. As in, we know glucose gets stored as glycogen in the muscle. And for every one gram of glucose or glycogen stored, I think it's around four milliliters of water. So again, people are looking at such an, uh, they're not looking at the bigger picture. Like people just looked at the bigger picture more so. Um, then you wouldn't try and, as it's saying, like get your big rocks in place first. So it's going, well, how many calories do I need? Cool. Am I trying to increase weight? Am I trying to decrease weight? Am I trying to maintain? Once you've worked out what that is, then get your protein intake in. And that probably for the majority of people, again, if you are trying to lose weight, you want to increase your protein uh, grams per kilogram of body weight. One, because it helps with satiety. So you, it helps make you feel fuller. Um, and two, your muscles at more risk or, of being, or basically losing, you're losing your muscle mass if the more aggressive the, the, the diet is. So once you've got your calories, your protein, then your carbs, like, and fat, it all comes down to personal preference. So stuff like that, it, again, it's sort of like the fasted versus the feds. It's going, well, can't have carbs in the evening. But I'm like, if I'm Kevin De Bruyne, I'm, you're having carbs. Like, yeah. I'm not, especially like the position he plays as well. It's like, no, you, you can have them whenever you want. And then it would just come down to sort of personal preference. Um, maybe you play around with meal frequency a little bit. So obviously after a game, let's say they do have a game like a few days later, they're obviously going to be having, their nutrition's going to be important. When we're talking high, high level. Yeah, elite level, yeah. But if you're talking like, I'm going to have a protein shake straight after the gym, but then I'm going to go and smash a kebab and do whatever I want. Like you're, you're focusing on the, the minute details of, I need a protein shake after that. And then for the rest of the time leading up to that game, you're like, oh, I don't really care. So again, you're, you're missing the bigger picture. It's like, no, it it plays a part in it. And the higher up you go, the more important it will be for like meal time and stuff like that. But even with some of my clients as well, say when, when they used to recreationally play football, if I had a client come to see me sort of the, the day after, early morning-ish time and they trained late on the Wednesday I would be like I would give them higher carbs after their training and then in their morning and then lunch prior to prior to that session just so they weren't just just little things and most even like if you're listening to this in your gen pot most people want to be like athletes anyway so if it helps them stick to the bigger picture the diet by going oh I'm training today so I'm gonna to have more carbohydrates that's perfectly fine like that would be something that I would use quite a lot with clients is if especially if they're trying to lose weight, be like, okay, if you're having a training day, you're going to have more carbohydrates. If you're having a rest day, you're going to have less carbohydrates. Just something really simple. And I weren't manipulating protein or fat. It was just going, you've expended more calories today. You can have more carbohydrates. Yeah, makes sense. I think that's an interesting point that like most people want to be like athletes. Because I think even me, when I was like playing football probably three times a week, and now I'm not, like I haven't played a, proper game since like March 2020 there'd be I'd I'd have days where I'd, I'd get to the end of the day and I've done like 35,000 steps yeah. do you know what I mean and I'm like that's so much activity I'm gonna have to eat so much to get to the point where one I'm not like ravenous but but two to, like just to be able to maintain body weight and that wasn't even when I had like specific goals about trying to get bigger or, or lose weight that was just like this is just me doing going about my normal life playing a football match going like maybe fairly active in the day because I was working in a school but I get to the end of the day and I'm like I I need a lot of food right now yeah well 
let's look at this. If you're trying to eat clean and you were under nutrition, like you didn't have as, like you just were doing your 35,000 steps, you didn't have enough protein or, or you did have enough protein, for example, but you weren't replenishing your carbohydrates. So you're literally, it's like a, a petrol tank. If you know you've got a 90 minutes game, do you want to go in on like a quarter tank? Or do you want to go in on the red? Or would you rather go in like full tank? Maybe slightly lower. Maybe it's finding that, that balance there. So if you're trying to eat clean, but you physically cannot consume that much food, then your fiber intake is really high. Versus you going, actually, I'm going to have a glucosate because it's got extra carbohydrates in it. And yeah. maybe it replenishes some of the the electrolytes and minerals and and stuff like that, that that I've lost through sweating throughout the day. And and then maybe maybe you could eat some bloody ice cream or some <laughs> lemon sorbet or whatever it would be that, again, is just going to help get you filling up your petrol tank before you have that game. So um, good rule of thumb, 80% try and eat good nutritional food. And then 20%, especially if you are expending a lot of calories, eat what you want. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, how would you define the fitness industry? My turn to do some air quotes because I hear that yeah. term a lot, and I and I'd say I'm someone who like it, like I'm I'm I consume the the stuff around it, and I and I feel like I'm quite active, and like I'll take, try and try and keep abreast of what's going on. But I don't really know where the fin- fitness industry starts and the fitness industry ends. And I thought you might have a good working definition for us. Probably not, because um, now I'm thinking on the spot. I feel like the fitness industry, the weight loss industry, and maybe like sports industry overlap. So you'll have, for me, like the fitness industry for the most part is pretty much the weight loss industry. Because most people won't pay money for a personal trainer to just maintain or to put on a little bit of muscle mass. If it's like a, a young dude, say, he's probably like, I, one, they probably haven't got the money to pay for a personal trainer. And then personal training as well, you can break that down into online, in-person, hybrid, semi-private, which tends to be four people or less, um, large groups, which would be more than four. And that could go up to 30, maybe 40, depending on the facilities and how many coaches you got. So I feel like, the fitness industry has a load of little subs, subs, subsections or subsystems or whatever you want to call them. And for the most part, it's made up of, I want to lose weight and get healthy. Then you've got sort of the health and wellness, which would be your yoga, your Pilates, your meditation and stuff like that. Now, then you've got your more, more sports specific. Um, I don't, when I'm talking like high level, academy clubs and stuff like that that they're definitely not in there so sure, like sure. you'll have people which are oh i could have been a professional footballer if i if you were better yeah. be <laughs> um, <laughs> um and those people will still do the fiber size still try and play football because that's their that's their thing if they didn't have that then they probably wouldn't go to the gym so you've got those which are take it slightly a little bit more serious which will spend time in the gym with hire people like yourself to not only um to improve their performance because they know they're getting older and their performance is going to deteriorate their fitness level they may have got back into football and been like well when i was younger i could run all day every day and now all these youngsters 
are running rings around me. So you've got those people there. And that's probably only a small, small part of the fitness industry. The majority would be that. And then you have the bodybuilders, the powerlifters, the CrossFit. Um, but I feel like the majority of the, the fitness industry is the weight loss industry because that is pretty much what most people hire a personal trainer for it's, is that sole goal of I need you to help me to lose weight. And I feel like a personal trainer today is a lot different to a 1990s, even the 2000 trainer where you if you was a personal trainer in the early 2000s, it was you come in, you see me, I train you, I beast you, you go away. If you want nutrition, that's not for me. You go and speak to a, a nutritionist or registered dietitian. There was no sort of after support. There was no, here's a program, go and do it on your own. There was no weekly check-ins. So I feel like a personal trainer today, um, you need to know enough about a lot of things like marketing, business, because most persons, 80% of personal trainers will be self-employed. So I feel like the fitness industry, maybe 80% weight loss, the bodybuilding, powerlifting, cross, CrossFit's bigger than the others. So then you've got another sort of 10 to 15% then, maybe the, the more sports specific um, is only maybe 5%. Of, of the industry mm. and all but there's far less competition there there's a lot more people we want to uh, competing for the majority of the market which is the weight loss there's more uh comp there's more competition for you as a trainer uh for bo for bodybuilding for crossfit for powerlifting but for like football badminton tennis from a uh, fitness point of view then there's there's a smaller pot of people that fit into that category but there's also a smaller amount of trainers or snc coaches that also you have to compete against so and i suppose from yourself looking at your experience and, and what you enjoy and what you specialize in you'd rather go down that route personally than work with jane who just wants to tone up yeah 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 i think that's fair and i think there's probably an overlap with people who like they might just they might want to tone up or they might want to like generally do things that are going to improve their improve their health but that's that's and that's kind of separate from their performance like if i think about a session i've got today it's with someone who plays football quite a lot but the general like they they haven't come to me and said i want to have sessions to make myself better as a footballer they've got all those other things in in their mind i was going to ask you you said the the role of the personal trainer has changed over the last 20 years or so was there a point where that changed or has that just been a gradual shift towards people as PTs needing to know more? I think maybe online personal training was the, the switch. I mean, I started okay. online personal training in 2012. I feel like every industry evolves and most professions are asked to do more today than what they were 10, 20 years ago. So I feel like I... I said it ages ago that an online person trainer serves their input, serves their clients better than an in-person person trainer. Because even though in my head, there is no difference apart. The only difference between in-person and online is if you see a specific person or people in a specific location at a specific time. That's a lot of specifics right there. <laughs> um, but if you come to me, you can only afford to see me once a week, but you ideally need to train four times a week based on the conversations we've had and your goals, et cetera. Then I'm going to program you a monthly training plan for four sessions per week. 
I'm going to give you nutritional advice, uh, whether that's setting you calorie targets, macro targets. I'm going to analyze your nutrition. I'm going to get you to take circumference measurements if you are online. So I feel like a lot of online personal trainers, because you're not seeing them in person, you have to try and get as much, you have to build up as much value as possible to warrant charging 150 to 250 pounds for one-to-one -one online personal training. So I feel like that has helped or should have helped because in my head that's what it is but then in reality if i was to interview or ask a hundred trainers in-person trainers what do their clients get i guarantee probably still 70 to 80 of them would go oh i train them in person i'll give them some nutrition advice and and, and that's it so it's a i feel like online person training made the in-person trainers have to raise their game because I always say you should have a weekly check-in online, even if you see your clients two, three times a week, because there might be certain things they don't want to say to you face-to-face, because -face, it could be maybe they don't feel comfortable saying it, or it could be that they're on a really busy gym floor and they can't open up to you and say what they want to say. So for me, I feel like online personal training maybe was the the catalyst to, uh, I suppose a lot of in-person trainers going, you're sitting at home on your bum, getting paid to do nothing. Just give them a program, but it's not nothing, is it? It's program, it's nutrition, it's weekly check-in, it's the community, it's the accountability, it's everything that I suppose in-person trainers didn't have to do because they was like, oh, I'm just going to see you next week, or I'm going to see you a couple, couple of days time. So I feel feel like that maybe was a catalyst of them raising their game, or it mm. should be. Yeah, and you said that industries evolve and industries change, obviously, with gyms closing for like sustained periods of time what effect did that have on in-person personal trainers you either went online or you died your business died yeah that was the only, that if your whole business was you get like in-person trainers take the mick out of online personal trainers they'll go oh what are you going to do jump on skype and do star jumps well no zoom came around so people don't use skype anymore 90 percent of personal trainers will fail within the first first year and we're going to talk about that in a bit i know we're going to talk about it so <laughs> preempting that so i feel like how did it if you survived you basically future-proofed your business you basically evolved as not only an in-person trainer when the gyms open back up but as a personal trainer as a business owner um so i feel like they were you either cried and was like what am i going to do um or you brought in another revenue stream into your your business so i feel like the strong it was either put up or shut up so a lot of gyms would have closed that's why like we tried to do the collective thing i think we raised maybe three thousand pounds and basically when the gyms opened back up we just paid for memberships for smaller privately owned gyms um, and they just had them as like competitions to bring people back into the industry so i feel like um longer term it helped out a lot of in-person trainers. I feel like maybe they can have more of a life now where they don't have to have as many clients in person now and they're basically working first thing in the morning before other people start work, during other people's lunch breaks and during after people finish work. So I feel like now it just helps future-proof their business and maybe they don't have to spend as much time on the gym floor. I feel like... There was a lot of, I feel like Instagram's probably social media 
has had a negative effect on those which were putting that content in the first place. Like for, for us personally, like our, our reach is a lot lower because now you've got those people were like, the only place I can advertise my services is on social media. So then you've got more and more people posting the same generic rubbish. Like, oh, look at this. This is how you do this. Or like, I'm looking for five people to do lose one stone in one month or two months or whatever it would be. So I feel like there's only one constant in life and that's change. You're always going to have to change. If you don't change, then you're going to be left behind or you're just going to go out of business. So if they didn't change and they was just hoping in, because that's the thing, when we went into the first lockdown, no one knew what it was, was like. And as I said, most personal trainers are self-employed. So it wasn't as if they had the luxury of, oh, I'm not in the gym. I've got furloughed now. I'm getting paid for doing nothing. I'm getting 8%. And I don't have to pay the gym any money. I don't have to travel in anymore. The other thing as well is most self-employed trainers is you. I can't. What's the thing? The self-employment thing. And my dad's like a painter and decorator, so he he had self-employment income support scheme. There you go. So um, a lot of personal trainers maybe were dodgy, so they would cook their books. So they maybe they get still got cash in hand and they didn't mm. declare it. So obviously you could only get a percentage of what HMRC that you declared, yeah. that you declared. So I feel like no one obviously knew that this would happen, but that was another kick to them. As in, they probably which probably only put in X percent of what they actually took, and when they tried to get the self-employment income support, they pretty much got peanuts. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one. I think that like there were a couple of months where I I wouldn't have been like I literally need I need, I applied for that scheme. I was eligible because I've been self employed since twenty seventeen, I think. So yeah, like it was fine. And there were a couple of months where I really really needed it. But yeah, I had friends who like they might have gone self employed two years ago and didn't have records or yeah, you know, like you say, you might be um there. Are, you know, I got other friends who like they're they're working full time, but they've got their you know, side hustle essentially that they would be eligible yeah. for money on, but because they're such a small amount of money, eight percent of a small amount of money didn't really help them too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was tricky. Um, you said ninety percent of PTs are not PTs within a year of qualifying. Why do so many PTs fail? Most people follow their passion, but a lot of people are not good at their passion. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I think that's one reason. It's like, I might be like, I really like gaming, but I know I'm 35 years of age. <laughs> uh, and I'm just, you know, it's like my little parents where their children sing and they cannot sing at all and they think they can sing. And you're going, you are a horrible person because this person's just gone on X Factor, whatever it is. And now they're the meme for like the rest of their life. So I feel like um, the entry level to become a PT and the, the ease of, passing the qualifications obviously as you know um you get people that are not not I mean, when i used to work in a college i'd have hundreds of students per well say like 100 students per year lewisham college right yeah lewisham college uh they changed it to lasoka now i think it's back to lewisham they split them back up again and my my sort of thing of whether you'd be a successful training or not is i'd get everyone in the sports hall and i'd be like Right, you've got 30 people here now. Stand in the middle. Coach. Talk. Project your voice. And 10% of people could actually do it. So when it's like the 90% figure, 
It's like, yeah, because it, it's, a, it's a personality thing. It's a, a confidence thing. And I feel like it's multiple factors. One, it's so easy to become a PT. If you've got two, three grand and you want to do an intensive course, I don't think there's really any. In the old days, it used to be you take five weeks off work, go and do this for five weeks. So you get so many so many people, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a graphic designer, whether you're an office worker, you get bored with your job. You maybe were slightly overweight or the skinny kid in school. You then started lifting some weights, then started eating a little bit better, and then you got the fitness bug. So you got the fitness bug and you go, fitness changed my life. Wouldn't it be cool if I was a personal trainer? So then I could help other people get what I got. So I feel like that's the reason why they get into being a personal trainer without knowing how hard it is as a profession. The level two, level three uh, qualification, I know we're keeping this clean. It's not very good. So um, you're getting a qualification that's not fit for purpose. Always, because remember, I did the level two, level three. I used to teach level two, level three. I had a sports science screen. When I went onto the gym floor to be a personal trainer, I was terrible. I didn't know about business. I didn't know about finance. I didn't know about marketing. I didn't know how to coach different type, like whether you're male, female, old, young, tall, short. But do you know what I mean? It was very, even with a sports science degree, I wasn't successful. So that's why everything I've done is looking back at a 21-year-old me who I don't feel like I'm an idiot or that I don't have the, didn't have the attributes to be a successful personal trainer. It was just... Uh, the qualification I got wasn't fit for purpose to give me the best opportunity possible to succeed. Other fact would be there's not many professions that you pay money to get qualified and then the majority of the job opportunities, you then have to pay a rent. Normally you pay money to get qualified. That's whether it's university or an MVQ or whatever it would be. But then you get a job that gives you a salary for the most part. With personal training, it's the opposite you pay for a qualification and then within like a few months based on wherever you're going to be personal training at, you've then got to get enough trainers. You're then paying rent. So it's very, there's not many professions that you pay for the qualification. Then you, within a few months, you then have to pay rent to the gym. So you've got that added pressure of, I need to take on clients. I need to take on clients. I'll charge less. I'll do this. And you, if anyone, even like desperate, someone being desperate like oh, oh, oh me me like it turns everyone off so because you have to literally you're starting from oh no i'm getting paid anything i'm minus 500 pound in the best case or i'm minus 1200 pound or 1500 pound based on if the gym's in like central london and stuff and stuff like that you're starting every month minus and then you're going i need to get clients and then you're your post on Instagram, your post on social media, and you're like, actually, just talk to gym members, do some work, lifting workshops, put on some challenges in the gym. So I feel like they're they're probably the main reasons, and I feel like it's um, you're not well equipped to know how to market yourself and run a business because that's pretty much what you are. You're a business owner, you're a sole trader, business owner when you start off, and you're minus however much rent per month. So it puts on a a lot of pressure. And then all of a sudden, you're going, wow. You, most people would have gone from a full-time employed position, being told, this is how much you're worth to me each year. You've got meetings here. You're, this is your day. This is your structure. This is your routine. And now you're a business owner. 
and you're like, oh, I've got to do everything for myself and I have no structure, I have no routine. And I feel like that's the reason why most people fail. That's the majority of the reason because of that. Mm. To, to put some of the onus on some of these bigger gyms and maybe take a little bit of, or cut some slack to some of these PTs who just qualify. Like if I think about, I don't know, Gym Box, Virgin, Pure Gym, any of these like huge, huge gyms. Yeah. Could, could they be doing more to support newly qualified PTs? Yeah, they could not look at the level three as the holy grail. Okay. Every single gym manager, fitness manager, anyone who's responsible for PTs would come to me and be like, they're coming to them, not ready. They don't have the skills necessary. They don't have the people skills, the soft skills. That's why we create the PT core. So um, I, probably, I won't break news. Actually, I'll break news on there. We're getting away from level two, level three. Because yeah. we, one, we don't believe in it. Like for us, the PT collective, we're like, we'll give you level two, level three, because that's what the gym box, the virgins, all the people, all the companies just mentioned, pure gym stuff like that. That's what they see as the, the end. The, basically, if you have that qualification, then you can have a job with us and you can pay us money. That's pretty much what, what it is. It's, it's not a job. They're not paying them or anything. It's going, you can pay us money. So they just play a numbers game. They go, right, we get enough people in. This person may pay us rent for two to three months and then they quit get someone else in and then all of a sudden this other person spends a little bit more time on their education or they're just more of a people person they go and talk to people they've got better personality uh they're not as scared of talking to people on the gym floor and those are successful so i feel like what can they do they can basically say if you could do the pt core then you that I, I hand on heart believe if they if every trainer did the PT core, it would improve the success rates dramatically. Then the other thing is looking at their entry level. So back in my day, there was a lot of fitness instructor jobs. So level two, basically your fitness instructor, which means you can do inductions, programs, cleaning equipment, walk the gym floor, and you'd work. You'd, you'd have a low salary. I think when I started, it was just under £13,000 on a full-time salary as a fitness instructor. Um, and then because I had a degree, I got extra money. And because I took some classes, I got some extra money. So that position is not really in the industry as much now. So you're literally getting qualified and you're going, I've got to pay rent. And if it's gym box, that could be 1200 1500 pounds within a few months. Yeah. So most of those, their models would be, you pay a startup fee, you'll get like a polo shirt. You'll get a little bits of this and that. Then it's um, free for the first month, the rent. Then it's half price for the second month. Then it might be three quarters and then it might be full price. So what tends to happen is everyone stays the first month, obviously, because you don't have to pay any rent. And then most people stay the second month because it's only half price rent. And then once they get to that month where they have to pay all the rent, they've gone. But the gyms are like, well, so I feel like unless we can't change, I can't change the standard of the level three, but gyms need to work and go, well, if people are not coming to us at a good enough standard, it's because they haven't got a level two. They haven't got that role anymore as a fitness instructor where you could you could, you could, could then progress onto a personal trainer. Back in my day, you do 20, 20. So you do 20 hours fitness instructor and then 20 hours personal training. Um, so I feel like because that role has been made redundant, uh, people are not having the uh, ability to get the experience to go and work on a gym floor, to get to talk to different types of members, to get to help without that risk of, crap i've got to go into the gym floor and i've got to pay rent so i feel like that's a reason and 
the other one, a lot of them are trying to do it, is do like in-house training. But then again, it all, all comes that down, down to, well, it's not compulsory. And therefore, a lot of people will fail. And all, all they do is, we just have to keep playing a numbers game, numbers game, numbers game. That out of 100 trainers, we might get two good ones. Yeah. It's so funny, isn't it, how similar that is to the model in terms of members. Like Pure Gym's dream is like a million people are members of the gym and like a thousand come regularly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like everyone's paying, but very few people use it. So you think if they've got that mindset from a gym perspective, it runs down, it trickles down throughout the whole organization, whether it's yeah. staff or personal trainers and stuff like that. So and whether you're employed as a personal trainer or you're self-employed, a good trainer will help with member retention, will help bring new members in. So what they, whenever a company gets big, they're always going to have middle tier, high level managers, middle tier managers, and they're going to have poor personal training. Your goal is to bring in £200,000 worth of business over all of the clubs per month in personal training rent, for example. So that's all they, because they've got people higher up, which give them targets and they've got their KPIs. So then it just becomes people are so high up within an organization. They're so out of touch of reality. All they can give them is financial targets. So then you're, as that person who's reporting to that direct report, you're going, I need to get more trainers, I need to get more trainers. Like you can go on every single one of those gyms' websites and you'll see, or training providers' website, and it'd be like, oh, get a guaranteed job at Pure Gym, David Lloyd's. Like everyone's doing it because they're going, we just need as many training providers on as possible because then we're getting all these new trainers are coming to us, coming to us, coming to us, and then numbers going. Mm-hmm. So when you say training providers, who mm-hmm. who are they? They'd be the people that are delivering the level two, level three qualifications, right. the level four, the level five in nonsense. So <laughs> Within sort of the fitness industry, you've we did have reps, but you've got Simspa, which is like more of the regulatory body. Then you've got awarding organizations, which are below them, which are set the standards and basically make sure that training providers are following protocol, as in they've got their their paperwork in order, that they're teaching the qualifications correctly. So you've got Simspa, awarding organizations, then you've got training providers. So training providers are like what the PT Collective are, um and a level two level three is exactly the same qualification regardless no, of where you do no it yeah. where where you do it, you're still gonna have to do the same assessments whether it's practical whether it's theory um recently they have changed the standards slightly so there are more different there are awarding organizations that their curriculum and syllabus is different and the assessment process is different but it always gets mapped to what's the sort of national occupational standards for personal trainers um, and that's been set at a high level and then basically gets trickled down to awarding organizations which then basically assess us delivering the qualifications as training providers so there's a ton of training providers there's a lot of one-man band training providers there's big corporate ones that have parent companies that require them to um, hit targets and you'll find a lot of them be like end of the month 50% off today only you have that email every single month at the end of the month so um it it then becomes more of like a conveyor belt we're just like get who's going to pay the most for ppc which is pay-per-click it's basically when someone types in best personal trainer calls you'll see all of the ads at the top 
and then everyone uses that same tactic because with us at the PT Collective, we're very much social media marketing, but it's really hard to social media market when you've got so many different client avatars or personas that have different careers, different ages, different genders, everything. Um, so the only way that we could compete with those is if we had a lot of money and we basically just outbidding them. Um, so yeah, they're the, they're the training providers. And then obviously they then have, they then try and build partnerships with the gyms. And then when people, you get your level three, Josh is like, oh, where do you want to work out of? We've got links with David Lloyd's, Virgin, Nuffield Health and stuff like that. And then it's going, right, there you go. Off you go. There's your after support. Yeah. Go and foul. Yeah, it is a it's a brutal landscape. It is brutal. And I think like I'm I don't know how representative I am of a broader like cross section of newly qualified PTs, but I'm very much in a like don't jump in to paying huge amounts of rent anywhere. Like get a sense of who my clients are and try and work well with them for now paying a little bit of rent obviously to, to be able to run those sessions but it's it's affordable and it's sustainable for now and just like give it six months give it a year like I just want to get to the position like in December well I've been where I'll have been qualified for a year and that's not even a complete calendar year because gyms have been closed for periods in that time and then assess and see where I'm at and I'm like oh I could take on I could take on a couple more clients oh I could I could commit to some more hours here. I could buy a big block of, of, of sessions at these different places. And that why, that's why I messaged you about um, this new gym that I'm looking to move to because I was just like, I've got, you know, this landscape is so big. Like I, I, even when, even when I qualified, I don't remember us massively talking about like private studios. Do you know what I mean? That's like a whole separate thing that, um, that was, that was new to me, even as someone who I feel like I do my research, you know? Yeah, I mean that we we talked about it on PT Cause, like looking at the great outdoors. Do you know what I mean? If you <laughs> if you can work with like a few gents that are still playing a bit of football and they just want to do some more fitness related stuff, and then you can chuck in a few like football drills and stuff like that. I'm like, the good thing about footballers, they're used to, especially those in uh, England, they're used to a bit of bad weather. <laughs> so the great outdoors, you don't have to pay anything. Yeah. I mean, so you're starting off, you're not starting off minus X amount of rent per month. You're starting off with no pressure. Anything that I get is a bonus. Um, and I feel like just from your background as well, it was going well. If you was to then go and work in a normal gym, you'd probably feel a little bit cla uh, claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of being in that same environment where here you can do some, you can do some gym sessions if you want. You can go and do some stuff outdoors. You have different options um and environments to do stuff based on the target the client that you're working with in front of you so yeah we'll see it's a uh, i'm enjoying it i think that's the that's the bottom line at the moment i'm enjoying it and i'm able to do it in a sustainable way financially and those two things simultaneously is 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 a nice feeling um and i thank you for that i thank you for that i don't know if i've ever said that to you but like there's very few times in my life where i've been, been able to say like I am like so, so pleased that I paid some money to do something that has really and truly benefited me. And I feel like it's setting me up long-term to be able to like have a career. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't happen, doesn't happen too often. So I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for that. And it's, I'm like, 
it can be such a re- rewarding career, even if you're working with like youth talent, go and then they make it into like the league and stuff like that. Or it could be someone who's really un- out of shape. And then, so everyone has their different goals in a different wise. And it, it is a really rewarding career where you can see the impact it has not only on that individual's life, but their families and their big, like the, the wider circle that they, they in essence impact or having a, an effect on so it is a, a really rewarding career it's one that is also a challenging one as well so I think if you go into it with the mindset that it is going to be hard and you have to put the work in you have to be consistent you have to show up then if you if you have the, the attributes and the desire you 100% can make it a success and there's not many careers or professions that will be as rewarding as a personal trainer when you can literally save someone's life by making lifestyle changes and, and then losing weight or becoming a professional. God, yeah, different world, different world, that elite level, but we'll see, maybe one day. Um, Luke, from, uh, from, from Lewisham to Dulwich, it's a, it's a hell of a story and uh, pleased to be part of it. Thank you for having me again, Josh, and um, all the best. Thank you.